there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to Sonar Zero with Kevin Clark. I am Kevin Clark. Um, all right. Sam Monson is here. We're going to get to him in a second. We went through our most improved and least improved teams of the NFL. This is the time of year to talk about that. Uh, it's something that fascinates me. I get to it. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Here's Sam. All right. Sam Monson, lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus, a returning guest on this show, a rugby fan in mourning. Um, I still, I vaguely know the rules of rugby. Been to two games ever, including my my beloved Stormers in South Africa, where I realized halfway through I didn't understand uh, a lot of the nuances. <laughs> I know the general gist of it, um, but really, like the, the the team they were playing was like coming back in the second half, and I was just kind of like, I, I have a sort of a grasp on this. And then I tweeted that out, and people were like, Well, the code that they were playing in, sometimes the players don't know the rules so i don't really know what's going on with rugby but it sounds like you're bummed out yeah it was bad um leinster lost in their second consecutive european cup final to the same team uh who was coached by one of their former sort of nemesis players as well so it's it's all coming together in one giant you know kick to the gut that's so bad i i'm obviously as i said i went to a stormers game and i have a bath rugby keychain so i know <laughs> i i sort of know how you feel about rugby yeah. fanaticism it's basically yeah. the same yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to go through. You had a, a piece on PFF last week about you also, also, by the way, did the top 32 quarterbacks or rank the quarterbacks today. And we're just going to breeze yeah. right past that. Um, we're going to do quarterbacks as it gets closer. Um, but you did a piece on the offseason uh, evaluation, the grades for all 32 teams. And I find that to be always really important and and kind of the discourse around it i was going back to 2021 and looking at some of um excuse me 2021 and 2022 and looking at some of the teams everybody was saying was going to make the leap and the eagles were on a lot of those lists but so too were the browns so too were right. the chargers who do you know were uh, on basically everybody's list and made a little bit of a leap but not not the kind of leap that you would expect um there were a bunch of teams that didn't really improve their lots and I kind of think this time of year, um, we do a couple of things. Number one, we overrate the impact of draft classes. We always, oh, you can pencil him in and, you know, and it's like, okay, right. let's calm down. Um, and then the other thing is we overrate sort of the action of signing somebody, trading for somebody. In the Eagles case, that, that wasn't overblown. A.J. Brown really was you know, a huge, huge addition, that sort of thing. The, the things they did in free agency have been important. But a lot of times the teams just get better from one year to the next or just they just have a core of players who take a leap at all at one time. And then Sam, the other part of it is making the leap and getting better and having a good off season is sometimes divorced from a long-term plan. Some teams will add three wins to their win total just sort of incidentally this year. And people will think, okay, they won the off season, but really it's not sustainable. And there, there's all this stuff. It's team building is fascinating to me. And that makes may maybe more intriguing than, than for me than it is for, for a lot of people. Let's start here. Give us some teams that just didn't did nothing to improve themselves this offseason. Just like total zeros. Um, so not nothing, but I think the 49ers had a rough offseason. 
Um, only Javon Hargrave. You know, they they were the surprise team that went big, handed the the big money contract to Javon Hargrave, arguably the best free agent available this offseason. That's like the only thing that saves this from being a really bad offseason for San Francisco. Um, you know, they lost some significant players to that team. Uh, Charles Amenehu on the defensive line, Mike McGlinchey in the offensive line. And all of a sudden you look at that offensive line on paper and that thing could unspool in a hurry this season if they get an injury or two or if if they just get a bunch of sort of average players catching the the bad end of their range of outcomes this year that's i think an underrated or under talked about potential problem for san francisco obviously you've got the quarterback thing off to one side brock purdy and the the ucl injury what they're going to do if he's not 100 healthy and then their draft just made no sense whatsoever to me i mean they obviously didn't have a lot of high draft picks but they had that run at the, the back end of the third round where you can still get, you know, players that can come in, make useful uh, contributions. Mm-hmm. They drafted a kicker. They drafted a, a tight end. They they were sort of reaching relative to the consensus board almost uh, at every single pick. I think that was a pretty rough offseason for a team that generally has been extremely well run over the last few years. One thing I think that we as media we've stayed away from is any sort of 49ers criticism because, because there's a little <laughs> bit of crossover and here's why I was actually talking about this the other day with somebody bit of a heat culture thing going on with the 49ers where Kyle Shanahan takes absolute bozos and turns them into something in the same right. way that there's some guy you didn't know was in the league in the NBA three months ago. And all of a sudden he's averaging 14 points a game for the Miami heat in the Eastern conference finals. Like it's that sort of thing. And so the ability to create something from nothing is maybe the best trait an offensive coach can have in football. And Kyle Shanahan can do that. And so I kind of think now we've gone to this place. And sometimes, listen, Roto Pat was on this, this show last week. We talked about how there's a weird kind of chorus of, of, of Twitter haters of Kyle Shanahan. But I think in the yeah. media, I think in the media, most people now just sort of hand wave it and say, yeah, Kyle's got this. We know what they're going to be. They're going to create something out of nothing. But sometimes you just can't do it. And so I'm intrigued to see how this how this develops. Um, I'm, I, I just I don't know. I mean, what are your expectations for the 49ers? I think they'll still be good. I mean, the other thing about the Kyle Shanahan thing is it's also a great way of fixing your single biggest mistake, right? Yes. Like right now, the Trey Lance trade, forget picking him, trading up to and giving up essentially three first round picks to get Trey Lance is one of the biggest personnel mistakes that's been made in the last five years. But it doesn't matter because they stumble into Brock Purdy with the last pick of the draft. And he looks like the best quarterback that Kyle Shanahan has had since, you know, Matt Ryan back in his, his MVP season. So it, it doesn't, it can completely eradicate the worst personnel decision you make because he's able to get incredible play out of pretty much anybody playing quarterback at that spot. So I think that's a, you know, a big part of why he doesn't get a lot of criticism because yeah. ultimately they made the NFC championship game. They, who knows what that game would have looked like if they had any quarterbacks during the course of it. So it's difficult to argue they're not doing extremely well, all things considered. But because of what we just talked about at the start of this, the talent on that roster is not, you know, unimpeachable anymore. They, they, they're they incredibly good, particularly on offense and this collection of skill position players that they have. But I think they've chipped away at the defensive talent a little bit. Um, and I think that offensive line could be a problem sooner rather than later if they don't get some surprising performances out of somewhere. So I expect them to still be good. I think there's enough talent there, but number one 
if Brock Purdy isn't good to go and, and they have to figure it out with either Trey Lance or Sam Darnold, I think that's a big risk. And then two, if that offensive line can't sustain the kind of performance it's had in the last couple of years, that could be problematic. Couple of things. Number one, I still to believe, I will go to my grave thinking this. The Niners should have turned to Juwan Jennings, who, by the way, was the like the number four recruit out of high school at quarterback. And then I ran this past people, including Debo Samuel, on this show in, in February. And he was like, well, it's the league. It's not college. And it's like, well, you had no other options. You had no other options. Right. So just have him run around and throw it around a little <laughs> bit because he was better than whatever the option was. All right. So that's that, that's one bucket. You mentioned the ability, the fact that the Trey Lance pick was a huge mistake, but it didn't matter. The ability to gloss over mistakes easily is it, with something, just filling those those gaps is one of the best traits you can have in football. I mean, it reminds me, remember somebody saying this about the new wave of soccer teams to spend 400 or 500 million dollars on on payroll um or, or transfers and talking about man city you're talking about you know in a couple of years newcastle psg whatever and somebody who's saying okay there are a bunch of players on that team where it's they're, they're they didn't pay 90 million pounds for it or whatever but the ability to if you miss on a guy just go out and buy another one of them like right. that is actually it and so what kyle shanahan has done in a non-salary cap, in a salary cap environment, completely separate from whatever the hell is going on in European soccer with a bunch of uh, royals basically using them as, <laughs> as, as playpens. But what Kyle Shanahan is able to do is basically say, oh, we didn't hit on this quarterback? Okay, fine. We're going to turn Sam Darnold, who is not very good, into a guy with the yards per attempt that, that makes him the eighth best quarterback in football. That's what Kyle Shanahan does. Yeah, I mean, he he has an offensive system that is a cheat code for offensive success. It's able to get any quarterback basically in the world playing at a capable level, a viable level, which is not an easy thing to do in the NFL. But an understated part of that offense is it's also incredibly offensive line friendly. You mm -hmm. look at PFF grades, particularly when it comes to tackles. All these tackles have career years when they're in Kyle Shanahan's offense because the offense is easier for tackles. All the play action scheme, the wide zone stuff, it it reduces the number of difficult pass blocking assignments for those guys. So they have an easier job of it. So his system is not just quarterback friendly, it's offensive line friendly. And now he's assembled this incredible array of positionless talent with Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk. And, you know, they have the, the talent from a skill position point of view. So it's this incredible uh, shortcut to the stuff that everybody else is grinding, trying to achieve of just, you know, high level offensive play, which is everything in today's NFL. All right. Who's another team that just did not do much this offseason? I, I hugely underwhelmed by the, the Raiders offseason. Um, and really, way, I just want to say the Raiders were on like a bunch of most improved lists last summer, by the way, right. like that. That's a great example of a team where it's like they on paper. It looks feels like they should get better. They're on these sort of lists and just nothing happens. And you have to like, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, sometimes we confuse movement with actually getting better. Like simple turnover <laughs> is not necessarily improving. It's just you made a lot of moves. And the Raiders did that this year. Like they brought in a ton of free agents. But when you look down the list of players that they brought in, the, the players that they've lost, it's not immediately clear that they've gotten any better. And then you add on top of that this whole voluntary destruction of the most important position in the game, right? We've decided we're going to blow the Derek Carr thing up. We're going to 
kind of boot him out fairly unceremoniously. We're going to bench him so we don't lose, you know, get him injured and we're stuck on the hook for his guaranteed contract. We're getting rid of Derek Carr. There will be a new plan this offseason. They're like, okay, fine. You know, we can all get on board with the idea that Derek Carr is a quarterback at a certain level that it's not unreasonable to want to do better than Derek Carr. You know, if somebody comes to that conclusion, we need better, particularly in that division. Fine. I'm, I'm willing to listen to that. And you come out of the offseason and the solution was Jimmy Garoppolo and a fourth round quarterback in Aiden O'Connell. And it's like, well, what what did we do? What what was that all about? So a couple things. Number one, we already saw this with Josh Daniel in Denver, where the first thing he tried to do and it was unsuccessful was bring in a guy that he had a lot of familiarity with. And I'm not, I don't know Josh that well. I think I've, I've sat down with him once and then I, the 2007 Patriots uh, piece I did a couple of years ago, I, I got to lob a couple of questions to him sort of outside at a, at a training camp, right? But I remember an extremely important coach. I actually don't remember if this was on there or off the record, so I'm just going to leave, <laughs> leave it out. Um, I remember maybe a top 10 coach of his era saying that it's a sign of weakness to only bring in a bunch of guys that you're familiar with. Now, there's a couple of exceptions to that. There's a lot of times where, and I remember, I don't think this is a terrible thing. I remember when Pioli went to Kansas City, he brings Mike Vrabel with him just to sort of um, teach everybody the system, have a veteran, you know he's going to be good in the locker room, that kind of thing. I don't care about that. But what I'm saying is when you keep repeating the I want guys I'm familiar with thing, that to me shows that you're a little uncomfortable teaching maybe, a little uncomfortable with the unknown. You've got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable as a head coach. And the idea that you're going to go out and swap out Derek Carr for Jimmy Garoppolo because of familiarity, um, because of the system, because of whatever. Uh, Now Tom Brady's going to be in that building every single day, which adds its own sort of uh, psychic layer to the whole thing. Um, I, I just don't know where this where this project is headed. His um, the GM is his buddy. Frankly, um, that's just that's just right. the, the way it is. His long long time buddy, um, and so I don't know where where this project is headed except making Josh McDaniels feel warmer. Yeah, that's a good way of summing it up. That nobody really understands where this is headed, and and I have no problem with bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo for familiarity if that was just a piece of it. You know, if if Jimmy Garoppolo had been the sort of veteran presence to something else to one of the rookie, well, it was a one year that, eight million dollar deal because the stock had if, if that if, you know in that right. hypothetical, I'm like, oh okay, but it's not that. Right. But if this had been the sort of the, the bridge to something greater, right. you know, and you just wanted a guy who you were familiar with and you knew could could be helpful in the room, then fine. But and who knows if that was the plan, you know, that they thought one of those guys that they liked would be available at number seven in the draft and they'd be able to get one. And but it didn't work out that way. Right. So now you're just stuck with Jimmy Garoppolo and he is your starting quarterback. And even if you were only looking at his injury history, you would say that's a bad move because mm-hmm. there's very little chance that he plays 17 games next season. Extremely. Um, it looks it's a bad it looks like a two-year deal, frankly, when you look at the the yeah. the money, um, which at, at his he's 32 years old, that that just seems to make sense. Uh, obviously cap hit numbers over 20 million dollars for all three of the years. Two of them are uh more real than the third. This is a significant a significant uh resource devoted to, to the quarterback position that I don't think really helps them. Um, so I don't know what happens there. It's it's brutal. Um, anybody else? 
before we get to before we get to teams that did well. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Buccaneers going from Tom Brady oh, to a God. combination of Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask is 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 bad. <laughs> There's no way of dressing that up. And they felt like a team that anytime, you know, the legend veteran quarterback walks away, you're always left in this sort of weird, you're at the crossroads where you have to decide, okay, is this roster that we've tried to assemble around this guy for one last shot at a ring actually capable of winning without that superstar in the right. building and, and or do we the, have to blow it up subsequent cap problems by the way that having that creates right. because you, you, you you're just adding i remember uh, i think it was jason Fitzgerald was on the show a couple of years ago and he was just like man the the way that the bucks are pushing their chips in in the brady era the bills are going to come due at some point yeah and and i think i think it's very easy for teams to get suckered into that of the guy leaves but you've just built this roster so that he can win a super bowl so when you look at like numbers two through 53 in the roster you're like this is a pretty good team. You know, we could get somebody in, just get capable quarterback play. We could, we could go on a run, particularly in that division as well. And I think they just, they kind of fall into that trap of trying to like keep it going without the reason you built this thing in the first place. And it's just not going to work. So, you know, the Buccaneers, I don't think can do anything next year, even with a pretty good roster because they don't have a quarterback. And I feel kind of similar about the saints who I think at least have a better shot of doing it with Derek Carr. Um, but it's the same kind of idea. Like the Drew Brees thing left. You've sort of tried to keep the thing, the show on the road. You've turned the roster over a little bit. You've lost a lot of talent. And you're like, you know, in a bad division, Derek Carr probably makes his favorites. It's probably true, but like you can't win a Super Bowl like that. I agree. The, the bad division, let's let's push some chips in the middle of the table to try to win something. That, that I don't think that's ever succeeded. It's never. I mean, it, it gets you 10 wins, and then it gets you bounced, right. and it gets you just long-term problems, but we've seen it before. Um, is there a team that you think had a sneaky good offseason that nobody... And I want to go through, by the way, Sports Illustrated just did this, and we're talking about... And I don't... I'm, this is not to denigrate this list, but like... The Seahawks are the most improved team on this list. And one of the parts of it is the draft class. And mm. I flicked at this earlier, but it's like we always overrate the immediate contributions of rookies. Always, always, always. Um, and we pencil these guys in for starting jobs. And the way it works, I don't want to harp back on the CBA, but it's like, these guys are going to get a handful of padded NFL practices, and then they're going to get thrown out there in September. And I'm not the Seahawks are a very good organization. I really believe in Geno Smith and that long term thing, but that kind of thing um, can tend to bite you. Um, Steelers number three on this list. I think that that's you know I, they they did an okay job bringing in some veterans, but you know the the draft class, even though it's got guys that people generally like, and I really like that class going to take a while and by the way pittsburgh just used to not play rookies like that was their whole thing yeah. and they have to play them by basically by by necessity now because of the way the nfl works but like they used to hate playing rookies now now we're sitting around saying oh the steelers will be good because of the youth injection it's like no no no, no. mike tomlin hates that um so what's a team that, that you think we should be talking more about from an offseason standpoint yeah it's it's an interesting dynamic because you're right generally speaking draft classes don't have a big impact year one you get you know you if one guy from your draft class comes in and plays really well right away you've done you've done a good job right generally it's going to take two three years for that group to really show itself which is why some of the smartest teams you'll see 
their first round picks don't they're they're almost designed like people hate the pick because it's yes. at a position that you don't have a need you know they've they've already got a guy at that spot it's a future pick it's the pick for next year because that's when you actually need that guy to do well so the Bengals picking Dax Hill who was a guy who played like you know a handful of snaps in a given game but this is the year that Dax Hill needs to be good yeah. and if he is they nailed that draft pick even though they they sacrificed a year's worth of his contract but the flip side of that is if you do get a draft class that randomly performs extremely well, like Seattle last year, yeah. it can change everything about the team. Like if you get four or five guys come in, play a lot of snaps and play well, all of a sudden your team is totally different than it, than people were expecting it to be. So it, it has the potential to completely change the dynamic of everything. Yes. It just rarely does. Two things about that. Number one, Tariq Woolen is having surgery today. It sounds like yeah. he's going to be available for camp, uh, speaking of the, the draft class. Second of all, we were not talking about the Seahawks draft class this time last year. It was like right. totally random that they popped. I was a huge Tariq Woolen fan. I tweeted it like his athleticism was off the charts. But you know who else is athleticism off the chart? Zion McCollum. And Zion McCollum had the most missed tackles of any defensive back like in history last year. So like, <laughs> you know, he just, and I'm not saying that means he's a bust. I'm just saying that right. I was looking at athleticism scores and I said, I love this Tariq Woolen kid. And I also love this kid, the Bucks took who, who, wasn't allowed we shouldn't have been allowed on the field last year yeah well so the the team that i really like their offseason is detroit because i think mm. what they did is is exactly what you should do which is let's attack free agency and take away the needs for the draft right let's eliminate going into the draft knowing that we're gonna have to take a guy at this spot and he's gonna have to play and start because we have a hole in this roster that needs to be filled they went out and they didn't necessarily get you know top of the market free agents but they added what three guys to the secondary that are going to be starters or starters you know a slot which is effectively a starter in today's nfl so they essentially addressed you know three of five positions on the back end so that they didn't need to go and say right number six we're drafting a corner come what may because we need that guy right now and he needs to come in and be good day one so i love that approach i think that's really smart the way that they did that and then they were able to do what they did in the draft, which, you know, people will argue about whether or not that was smart, but they had the freedom to do that because they didn't have to chase the need that they'd already filled. Real quick, tangent on this. Lions, division champions? You would have to say they're favorites, right, at this point? I mean, they almost made the playoffs last year. They're clearly getting better. The Packers are unlikely to contend as uh, the same without Aaron Rodgers. So it's really, do you think Detroit is better than Minnesota at this stage? And given their respective off seasons, I think you would say, yeah. I'm looking at the odds. I'm trying to figure it out. I will say there is a laundry list. I actually have not updated. I've not. I don't know if anybody's done the study. There was there was a study a couple of years ago that basically showed that the hot team in the second half it very rarely carries over to the next oh, really? year. Um, yeah, but on the other hand, when you're a young team, you're, it's not about getting sure. hot. It's about getting better, right? Those are two separate things. Winning four yeah. or five games in a row, if you're just getting lucky, is one thing. But if you're actually developing in front of your eyes, in front of the world's eyes, like that's a separate thing. And that's, I think, what the Lions were doing last year. So that's my pick. I think it's, but I do think it's going to be a, a little bit, a little bit closer. I've accidentally, I am so deep into these odds. I'm now looking at like, Pacheco over under for yardage and I can't actually find the NFC North. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at Mac Jones over under passing yards right now and uh, Kenny Pickett 
Let's go. What's that? 19.5 touchdowns over under. Oh, I don't know about that one. Um, all right. Is there a any team, any team free agent signing you're excited about that I should be excited about? Uh, one any team's free agent signing. I think a lot of the ones that Cleveland made are I'm excited. I, I like the the way that they attacked their defensive line this season, I think is huge. That I think was the root of all the problems pretty much on the defensive side of the ball. So for too long, it's been Miles Garrett and nobody else up front. Now they've got Miles Garrett, Dalvin Tomlinson, uh, Obo Okorwankwo. Um, they've they Isaiah McGuire in the draft. They bring in Darius Smith via trade. Like they really attack that group. So um, I think collectively seeing how that group does is going to be pretty exciting. But also individually, I think a couple of those players are, are definitely ones to watch now that they have Miles Garrett on the other side. Is there a team in the sort of, and I, when I sent this to you yesterday, I, I was trying to rack my brain and I can't think about, like the Eagles went from pretty good to absolute elite, ran away with the NFC, beat everybody's ass. Is there a middle tier team that you feel, and this doesn't have to be because they drafted XYZ and signed XYZ and traded for XYZ, right. even though the Eagles, that's, that, that's part of their story, obviously. Is there a team that's going from good to great that you see in the, the offseason where you say, okay, this is, this is my Eagles. I'm circling my Eagles. I mean, I think nothing can move the needle as much as a quarterback taking a significant step, you know, one way or the other. So you look at Philadelphia. They're the perfect case study of this because Jalen Hurts year one was not good. Jalen Hurts year two was okay. But if you had to rely on just him as a passer, he probably wouldn't have made it to year three. And then year three, Jalen Hurts was MVP caliber, you know, mm -hmm. running with Patrick Mahomes, almost beat him in the Super Bowl. Perfect. That's that's like the dream arc. Trevor Lawrence could be on that kind of pathway. If you, I think week nine onwards, his, the three quarterbacks that had a, a 90 plus PFF grade from week nine onwards were, I think Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, and Trevor Lawrence. I think Josh Allen was just behind uh, as number four. But like, that's the category he was in from week nine onwards last year. Obviously, that's a random, arbitrary cutoff. That's when he started to play well. So it's going to make that number look good. But this is what we're talking about with the with the Lions, right? You, you look for these potential patterns and it, it took eight weeks to get the stink of Urban Meyer off that franchise to get things moving in the right direction. They've continued to add talent. I think overall that that franchise is headed in the right direction. And if and, and Lawrence now gets Calvin Ridley to play with as well. So, man, if he picks up the way he left off last season in that division as well, the Jags could be a real contender. Just going to say one word and get out of the way. Jets? Hmm. I could see Anything? that. Are, are they I, good? Look, are they going to? I just, I don't know. They were, so, I, I see, I'm of two minds here, as I, as I often am with, with Aaron Rodgers. They would have run away with the playoffs, a playoff spot last year if they had right. anybody playing quarterback for them except the guy who was playing with them. A McCown, a McCown you never heard of. Like any anybody who except Zach Wilson would have made the playoffs. The expectations are different this year. Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers is not going to play at an MVP level, and there's a lot of variance within that. I was not super impressed with 2022 Aaron Rodgers. No. Um, and I kind of feel like, I think they'll make the playoffs. I actually kind of feel like with the aging curve, with the injuries, 
with some of the passes he was missing. Actually, a significantly lower floor on the quarterback play than I think. And I'm saying this is relative to trading for Aaron Rodgers, the concept of trading for Aaron Rodgers. Relative to that, I think the floor is a little lower than than I think most people are giving it credit for. I think they'll still make the playoffs. I think Aaron Rodgers will be fine. But this is not this is not trading for a guy where you can just pencil in his production. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think the range of outcomes is probably broader than people are giving it credit for. Now, I don't think like last year's Russell Wilson is in this range of outcomes. I don't think Rodgers. I is agree with that. Having... I mean, that was a un- that was a unicorn of disaster. Yeah. but 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 the sort of same thing, right? You look last year the the Broncos trade for Russell Wilson. Everyone's like, oh, Denver's a Super Bowl contender right now. Yeah. They're they've made it. That that's the that's the jump forward they needed. This is going to be one of the best teams in the NFL. And not only was it not, it was an unmitigated disaster. Like everybody got fired at the end of it. Like that's how bad that went. So I don't think that's everybody was going to get fired after the first month. <laughs> we knew yeah, everybody right. was like, oh, this isn't working. It was like September 15th. Yeah, it was like, how early can you fire a first year head coach? That was the question that was being asked from almost day one. Um, so I don't think that's possible. But I agree with you that because of the element of the unknown, the, the Rodgers playing reasonably badly is actually possible. And it's not because a lot of things are in his favor. I think he definitely upgrades in terms of receiving talent. Um, he's stepping into a system that he should be familiar with. It's not like he has to learn a new offense because Nathaniel Hackett is there, whether or not Nathaniel Hackett is going to run what he ran the last time or simply turn it over to Rodgers and say, hey, Aaron, what would you like to run this year? I'm good with whatever. However that dynamic functions, it should be something that Rodgers is good with. Um, where I think it could be tricky is the biggest uh, problem that Rodgers has in terms of getting from 100% potential to like 80% is how much he trusts the receivers and just how much they're able mm-hmm. to be on the same page telepathically. It takes him a while to build up that trust to say, okay, when you're in this situation, it's an auto throw back shoulder. You need to be on the same page. And if you're not, we're in trouble because I can't put that ball in the air then. So last year, I think it was as much about that as it was the receivers not being good. It's that they were young, right? First year guys, they hadn't had the year's worth of buildup of Rogers explaining to them, you know, when he's going to change things, when he's going to throw those back shoulders, all that kind of thing. Every time he went from one of these number one receivers to the next one, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, um, Devontae Adams, they'd already been there for a while. They'd kind of built up that rapport. They'd, they'd gotten it by the time they needed to lean on them. He doesn't have that chance this year, right? It's going to be week one. Garrett Wilson needs to be on the same page with him. And if he's not, Rodgers can't play the way Rodgers, I think, is still physically capable of playing. So I'm kind of with you. I think they make the playoffs. And then what determines whether or not they're real contenders versus just making the playoffs and, and getting bounced against one of the real teams is you know, how close to 100% of that potential is Rodgers and those receivers. I sort of want to go to a Jets game as a fan. Not like a Jets fan. I'm not a Jets fan. I don't have any any allegiance. I just want to sit in the stands and just experience this. I don't know. I just feel yeah. like it'd be, I feel like it's going to be a, a a bit of a circus, a scene, a scene, as we say. Yes. I'm going to a uh, Yankees game on Friday. Baseball's oh, yeah? back. Yeah, yeah, pitch clock Baseball's back. got me back in. Yep. So, trip in my house. It's all right. But it's shorter um, now, right? That's that's the big selling point for the pitch clock. It's less baseball, which is a great yeah. thing about baseball, <laughs> is there's less of it now. Always a good, a good thing. Hey, speaking of the Broncos, so again, 
going through these lists the last few years, there's always the addition by subtraction team. Always. And um, you just lose Nathaniel Hackett and you get anybody. And it, like Nathaniel Hackett was the Zach Wilson of coaches. Right. right? Where it's just like anybody could have done better, it seems like. And then you go out and you get Sean Payton, who's legitimate and all that stuff. Um, I think the body language doctor had some thoughts on maybe how he talked about Russell Wilson over the offseason on a bunch of different shows, maybe including mm-hmm. this one or lack thereof, just talking about different skill guys and different defenders, not really commenting much on Russell Wilson. Um, but if anybody's going to solve this, it's going to be Sean Payton. Do you expect them to be anything this year? I think that's one of the most fascinating stories in the NFL because Russell Wilson might be the most complex problem to solve for any coach, just in abstract terms. You've got a guy who, at least theoretically, has you know elite quarterback potential and play not that distant in the past, right? But you look at what happened last year, you look at the reasons it happened, and you look at the sort of ways that he plays the game relative to how the game has changed and evolved over the last couple of years. And you kind of come away with the conclusion of, I don't know if you can fix that. Like, I'm not sure this is capable of being pieced back together again. And and this is the task that Sean Payton has, or the sort of task of knowing that you can't piece it together again and figuring out what is the best way of like treading water for a year or maximizing what we have for a year before I can actually get rid of him, get out of that contract and go in a completely different direction. So it's, I think it's just going to be incredibly interesting to watch how they do with that whole problem solving going on behind the scenes. Ultimately, I think you come back to, it's a very talented roster, top to bottom. Um, Sean Payton has a ridiculous record of wins and losses with not Drew Brees as his quarterback. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people tie them together. Like, of course, Sean Payton's going to be an incredible head coach. He had Drew Brees for basically his entire career. Granted, like that's obviously a pretty important thing, but if you strip out Drew Brees and just look at non-Drew Brees, Sean Payton games, his record is insane. Whether it yep. was with the Saints, whether it was previous, which got him the Saints gig, like his record of not having Drew Brees is nuts. So I think he's going to win games. The Broncos will be good. The question is, you know, can they salvage anything from this Russell Wilson thing? Or does that go down as one of the worst personnel decisions in the history of the game. Wow. Um, that's a big one. I will say this. So I was shocked at the amount of people in January who were saying, you know what? Just cut your losses. Make them a post June one cut. Take your medicine now. Spread it over the next few years. Whatever. Let's move off Russell Wilson. I was shocked by that because a couple of things. Number one is when you lose, when you have no quarterback, the type of quarterback you sign is like available and cheaper Russell Wilson, which now that you've already paid out a significant amount of it, like you would, it's one of those things where if you cut Russell Wilson and you're the Broncos, if you hadn't, if you weren't the team that he just left, you'd be the most obvious destination. Right. And so like, I always view it like that. And so what else you can do? Go sign Jimmy Garoppolo for three or 72. Is that what you want to do? Do you want to go in the Derek Carr sweepstakes? It's the same thing. I'd rather bet on the guy we've seen do it at a significantly higher level than anybody who's available. It was a horrible bet. It was a horrible year. I have no idea. I don't know if he was hurt. I don't know if he just wasn't comfortable in the offense. I don't know. I mean, you and I talked about this a few years ago on this show, but you know, the, the 
I was a bigger believer in the let Russ cook thing than you were. You felt like there was a there were some diminishing returns after a certain level of cooking um, per game. And I, you know, I, I think that there's a couple of things. Number one is I think after the Geno Smith year, we understand now that Pete Carroll knows a hell, whole hell of a lot more about ball than Twitter does. And right. by the way, Pete Carroll loved taking that victory lap last year, loved taking that victory lap last year, because listen, I am a, a part of this. I am I am in this little smug Twitter wagon that says, what are you doing? What? Why are you not passing the ball? Why are you drafting a running back? I'm in it. I'm in this little wagon. And we were wrong. We were wrong. And yep. Russell Wilson showed how 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 well the Seahawks know to solve problems and all of this stuff. And that, hey, listen, if it was easy, everybody would do it. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And the fact that he went there and fell on his fa- face so quickly that the entire organization basically had to start over is really incredible. And I'm glad he's going to have Sean Payton to fix this. I really do believe that there's there's going to be some fixing. Um, but man, this is... Next time we all get in our little little smug downhill wagon, I want I want us all to remember this one. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I've I've said this a few times in in the last couple of years that we're very quick collectively, and I agree. With, like I'm in it as well, right? We're both on Twitter. We're both in this world. We're everybody is really quick to just default to the idea that whoever is making the decision in the NFL is an idiot. Right. We've seen the data. We've seen the numbers. Analytics says, how could you make this move? It's clearly stupid. Like most of almost all of these people, I'm not going to say all because I've, Mm -hmm. you know, we've all we've all met somebody. But almost all of these people are pretty smart and they know a lot about what they're doing. If they're going in a different direction to the thing you think, there's a reason for it. And we should at least try and understand what that reason is before we declare them idiots. Right. Kyle Shanahan, whose offense we talked about before is a cheat code for for success. We didn't even talk about the running back part of that. They could plug anybody into that system and get a thousand rushing yards, you know, 4.5 yards per carry, if not more. We've known this since Mike Shanahan was doing this back in the 90s. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet Kyle Shanahan, more than anybody, persistently goes after an upgrade at running back. Like he should be the poster child for not doing that. I can get anybody off the street and turn him into a successful running back. Why would I ever invest more than $7 and a Twinkie in this position? Instead, he goes and trades for Christian McCaffrey, right? So immediately that should cause everybody to go, that doesn't make sense. What does he know that we don't? Instead, it's like, oh, it was a dumb trade by the Broncos or by the 49ers. What are they doing? Like idiots? <laughs> Just the lack of you know awareness from us all to at least question our default starting position is nuts. Totally agree. And I remember this just an education process when you're in the media. And I remember a couple of years ago, someone telling me that one of the secrets of the Eagles team was the first team, the Nick Foles team, was that Joe Douglas was really good about adding toughness because he was in that that front office and he was doing the scouting and, and that kind of stuff. And sitting here, it's five years ago. I felt a little differently about some parts of football. And I'm just like toughness what the hell does that matter let's just throw throw the ball over the place and as you first of all when you're near it when you ask guys about it and all that stuff there's limits to it about toughness and 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 all that stuff and why teams 
do what they do. But you're right. Typically, and I would say there's the 5% of decision makers in the NFL are just absolute morons and just, just don't know what they're doing. And that, that, that shows itself pretty quickly. And by the way, that right. might be team dependent. They, you know, Dave Gellerman was pretty good in Carolina at, when he had Cam Newton and understanding how they needed to come along. He was not good at all with the Giants and it was shown immediately and we were all right about that, right? And I don't know what changed. I don't know if he just felt like there was a, a different thing that was needed with the Giants. I don't know. He was trying to, to placate ownership. I don't know. But it just didn't work. Um, but I think the biggest thing for us is realizing, as you alluded to, that a lot of times we'll say, well, why isn't this guy playing this receiver position? Why is he playing uh, why, is, why is he playing in the slot more? And it's like, well, they tried it and he and then practice, he falls down every single time, right. you know, or like he doesn't, he's, he doesn't have good vision and, you know, or it doesn't bring his head quickly around enough. Like there's so many things. And that, that I think is the biggest thing with the educational process. And it's one of the reasons I actually just love talking ball with people inside of it, because you understand that's why I really, frankly, off the record conversations are so important um, or on background conversations so important within football because you yeah. learn the rationale that guys would never say. And on this time of year, it's just all it's all like there's no TA and the offensive coordinator comes out and he says something because he just has to say something. And then we all, right, pull, all tweet it and we dunk on it. And I, yeah. ju- I wish we could, ba- I understand why we do it. I wish we could just ban any t- tweeting of quotes from the draft until like the second preseason game. Yeah. But it's also, it's really difficult because I agree with you 100% that so many of the really important pieces of information are number one off the record or behind the scenes or whatever, but they're also kind of intangible well, so A lot things. of it is, by the way, sometimes to protect the player. A lot of it will be like, hey, why isn't this guy starting? Well, you know, he's he's been drunk for three weeks, actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but a lot of them are also these sort of intangible things that can either be like 100% dead on or it can be complete you know, crap made up. And, and like, when you see it, it's like, well, that's a ridiculous statement. Like the evidence here we have in front of us says do this one thing, but like the classic sort of old school money ball scouting guys, right. Bad face or whatever, like those ridiculous terms. You're like, what, what even is that? Like, that's right. absurd. That's no reason to not have a guy. Well, bad, board. no bad face is a red flag to be fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you do hear these things like everybody has had a conversation with a guy where within like five minutes of talking to him, not football related, just any human being within five minutes of talking to him, you're like, I would not listen to a single thing that human being told me to do about anything. Like yeah. immediately that guy's opinion is out the window and just not something I'm ever going to put any stock in. Like that's those 15 minute interviews that teams have with prospects. Like these are important mm-hmm. things that and it's very difficult to sort of separate which ones are fair and which ones are leading you in a bad direction and is like clearly stupid on its face. Interesting. I, I want to get back to the last teams that held themselves, but I just want to make one more point on that, which is the, the red flags I always take from when I'm talking to a decision maker or a coach is when they're not thinking they're, they're open about not thinking about something, either anything. So like a lot of times I remember this, this is not as common as it was, but I remember talking to people like in the Patriots organization and they're talking about the way they manage the salary cap. And they just felt like they were living in the year 3000 with some of the decisions they were making and and all that stuff. And then you go somewhere else and I'd be like, Hey, how do you guys manage the cap? And like, eh, we just, we just build the best roster and then we'll figure it out in the back end. And meanwhile, like the Patriots are, are, you know, building the best roster around Tom Brady in history football for 20 years. Right. And 
that to me, I remember Jonathan Kraft saying this in an interview with me a few years ago where he basically said all the re- only reason he ever goes into a meeting, a football meeting, is to make sure that all, every thought is being every everything is being thought out. And the answer is and it's always being thought out. He just wants to make sure that all the questions are being asked and all that stuff. That That's it. And that to me is how I judge people. If they're saying like, we actually don't want to look into this or I mean, the biggest thing and you and I talk about this all the time. I don't care if, if a GM likes analytics, uses analytics or whatever. But when you yeah. shut the door. And say we will never have an analytics department. I hate this analytics department. If you you know if you haven't played the game, you have no idea what we're talking about. Great example, sort of separately, is when I talked to Mike Malarkey a few years ago, and he was basically just like, if you think that Marcus Mariota should run the spread in the NFL, you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't understand NFL offenses. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, you want to just call Chip Kelly for or Mark <laughs> Helfrich, whatever, and just like pick his brain and just see how it might be able to work. No, you don't want to do that. Okay. That's it. That's when I don't take a guy seriously. Um, right. All right. Last thing. Uh, any more teams that help themselves that we haven't brought up yet? Um, I like what the Colts have done. I, mm. I, okay. A lot of it is based off that draft, which as you say is, is a bad way of starting things, but in, in large part, it's because it's not for this year. Like I like the direction that they've put themselves or the course that they've put themselves on with that draft. And I imagine the 2024 is the year that that's actually going to start to show dividends. But I love that they came out afterwards and they said, look, the reason we, we went and we wanted Anthony Richardson is because good or average does us no good whatsoever. Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, these guys are all in the same conference. Having an average or good starter is useless to us. We need somebody that has special in his range of outcomes. And that's why we want Anthony Richardson. They've got a head coach that, as we talked about, just ran that kind of development arc with Jalen Hurts. Um, They drafted these insane athletes top to bottom. I just love the course that they put that team on over the course of this offseason. Agree. Having said that, they bet big on athleticism, which doesn't always show up in September of the rookie year. Sometimes no, it, takes, it takes a couple of years. And, I'm not, and that's yeah. not, I'm, by the way, I'm not talking about Richardson. I'm talking about, I, obviously, he's a great athlete. I'm talking about the guys in the middle rounds. It's a right. lot of guys who are just otherworldly athletes, guys I love, but sometimes that doesn't pop till year three. No, agreed. And I, I would not expect the Colts to be particularly good this year. But I think, in, you know, in a year's time, we're going to be looking back at this offseason and say, like, this is this was genesis of this this movement. This is when this team actually got itself on the right track and started to move in this direction. You heard it here first. Colts 0-17 from Sam Monson. Super Bowl champs no. in two years, 0-17 this year. All right, buddy, this was fun. Absolutely. Thanks for All having right. me. All right. Well, uh, good. Godspeed on the rugby stuff. Better days oh, are nice. ahead. Better days. Next year. Next, next year. Next year. There's always next year. I, I didn't say next year because, again, I don't know the rules of rugby and I didn't know if it was Actually, like a. Technically, the important thing is the World Cup, which is to see? come this fall. So we got that see? first. There's always year. something going on. There's always something going on. It's like, uh, like Mexican soccer. They just randomly have two seasons, like a winter <laughs> season and a spring season. And so they, literally, I like I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, somebody can correct me, but like they literally just just doubled the seasons. They were like, what if we just decided to just have two seasons? And so it's like, oh, we won this championship. And I'm like, didn't somebody win the championship like a month ago? So <laughs> I, you can't keep up. Sam Monson, read him at PFF. Thank you for coming on Swan Newsday, buddy. No problem. No problem.